So we'll continue today where we left off last time. Last time we ended up just before Peter began dealing with this stone imagery. We referred to it on several occasions, but we really didn't have the time or spend the time to get into looking at this imagery that is found um, here in Peter and throughout uh, many portions in the, in the Word of God. Now, it is our goal in this first video dealing with the stone imagery is to look at the way in which Peter uses it here in the in the text of, of First Peter. And then in some later videos, we will look at the, the way it is used again back in Isaiah chapter 28 and in Psalm 118. And we'll see it also the way it's used in Daniel. And so we'll go back and look at some of the ways in which this stone imagery is used in the Old Testament, seeing how the Lord Jesus himself draws from those Old Testament passages in order to describe himself as being that stone. And uh, we will see that as we as we proceed, probably in the next uh, video or two. But today we want to concentrate on this portion, and I would encourage you, um, as we study these portions together, that you go back and read through chapter 1, all the way through chapter 2, and especially down to probably verse 9 or 10, although we won't read 9 and 10 uh, this morning. Uh, I would suggest for context sake, to have it fresh in your mind, each time we approach these, that you go back and read the context. It'll be a tremendous help to you in understanding the, the thought pattern that Peter is, is bringing to us. So let's read it, and we're going to begin reading today at chapter 2. We're simply going to read from verse 4 to verse 8. So we're just taking these four verses that deal with this stone imagery so we can um, extrapolate it out and, and find out uh, some of the meanings that Peter has here, which he draws from the Old Testament. And then in later uh, videos, we'll look at the actual quotes themselves, which are Again, coming from the Old Testament passages in, in Isaiah 28, Isaiah 8, and then uh, Psalm 118 in particular. So let's begin reading. Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men and chosen by God and precious. You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected, has become the chief cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. They stumble, being disobedient to the word, to which they also were appointed. And the Lord allowed his blessing to the reading of his word. Now, our, our, our purpose in these videos is not to be going through and doing a, a complete uh, explanation or expository look at every detail of these verses. Uh, as you are aware, our, our main goal in all of these studies is to see how the New Testament writers make use of the Old Testament as they write their epistles, as they write their narratives. Um, so we will not be going through and looking at all the details of each verse as you might do in an expository teaching. But we are going to be focusing on certain aspects. So here, be, 
Peter begins the discussion here in, in verse 4. He begins the discussion of this stone imagery by calling the Lord Jesus Christ a living stone. To that he adds a further description. By uh, it, is, it is a living stone rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. So we get two descriptions of this uh, stone in these, in these verses. Two descriptions of the stone. One is given to us by a verb, and the other is given to us by an adjective. The verb in this case, the word living, is, is found in, the, in a form which is a, a present active, and it's a participle, which gives it an ing kind of ending. So this ing ending, uh, when you find this form of a verb oftentimes, or sometimes maybe is even a better way to put it, it becomes an adjective. It's describing, it's a, it's a word that's descriptive of the noun or the, or the pronoun which it's uh, attached to. It might be called a verbal adjective, as we might call it in English. They both describe the noun in this case, which is the stone. So the word living and the word precious both describe the stone. First of all, it is called a living stone. And this goes back to the things which were previously stated, which is why it is good for us to read through the first chapter all the way up to where we are studying today so that we keep in mind where he's drawing now because he's building a case. He's working on through. These things are not detached from one another. He goes back now to look at two things that were previously stated. And one of those is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, which is the source of our being begotten again to a living hope. It's the source of our being begotten again. It's the source of our being born again. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. And we have a living hope. It is what we possess. It's the same word, zoe, living, same verb that is here. It is a living hope. It is alive. It is full of breath. It is animated, if you will. Our hope is, is breathing. It's alive. It's animated. It's vibrant. And it's the same word that is used of the stone. It is a living stone. It is full of breath and animation. It is vibrant in, in, its, in its existence. It's not simply an inanimate thing. It is alive and breathing. The one who has been raised up from the dead is full of breath. He is full of life. Now, secondly, it can be referred to in the context of the word of God. So first, it is the resurrection of Christ. He is the living one who has given to us a living hope. And we'll see that again in, in just a little while. But then he also refers to it in verse 23. He talks about in chapter 1, verse 23, we've been um, born again through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. It is the word of God that lives and abides forever. And it's even found in the same voice and tense and mood of, of the verb here. So you see live in verse 23 where he says uh, lives and abides. You could, you could say living and abiding. It is the same form of the verb that we found before. It's a present active with a with participle mood. 
It is the word of God that is living and, and, and abiding. And it's describing the word of God. Both of them are ver verbal adjectives. It is the living word of God. It's the abiding word of God. It's the zoe. It's the meno. It's the, it's the living and abiding word of God. And so he combines these two things when he speaks about the living stone. It is living just as his resurrection is. It is living just as the word of God is. He is also a living, vibrant, breathing stone. And we come to him. We, as now believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we approach him. We draw near to him. It's a present active. We are coming to him as to a living stone. Now, when you add the, those two little words, as to, it makes it a sort of simile. Now, you, you recognize a, a, a simile, or perhaps you've forgotten your grammar from, from your school days, but a simile is a figure of speech which compares one thing to another thing of a different kind in order to make the description more colorful, more clear. But you will quickly notice something here about the as to. It is in italics in your English translations. If you have an English translation that's from the King James, some others leave this out and, and properly translate it. So what does it mean when you take out the as to? What does that mean? It means the, the italics there means that it was added by translators. It was added by those who were, were uh, translating these words in order to give it a better flow in order to give it a more readability. Now, we could read it by just eliminating the as too. And in doing so, we actually eliminate the simile. And it goes like this, coming to him a living stone. And the simile is eliminated. And the verb commands the description now. We're coming to him that living, breathing, vibrant, alive stone. So we're coming to a living stone. The, the New International Translation translates it like this, and I think it's a very good translation. And I'm sure they'd be so excited to know that I think that. It reads it like this. So as you come to him, a living stone rejected. So as you come to him, as you are coming to him, as you're coming to him every day, day in and day out, as you're coming to him, not only for the salvation that you enjoy, but for the day-to-day -day life that you live. You're coming to this living, breathing God called the stone. You come to him, the living stone. So it emphasizes the contrast between these two phrases more than can be easily expressed in English. So uh, so we're told, at least in the explanations that we find in the footnotes of the uh, New English Translation Bible, the contrast is more clearly seen. You come to him, a living stone. Now, the Lord uses this stone imagery. Um, we digress just a little bit, but the Lord uses this stone imagery when he's looking over the city, making some uh, what we might call eschatological uh, statements regarding it. He says, you see these buildings? Referring to the temple buildings and the walls and the temple site. He says, not one stone shall be left upon another. 
And he's looking forward to the time of 70 AD when the Romans come in and destroy the, destroy the temple, not leaving one stone upon another, destroys it. So he used it to refer to the stones used for building. Revelation does the same thing. If you remember when it describes the city, the New Jerusalem, it describes the stones that are being used in the building of the wall. And he, he has different color, different kinds of gemstones that are being used to build the wall. Now in Luke chapter 19, if you if you went there and, and read of the triumphal entry of Christ in into Jerusalem, he speaks the same way as he weeps over the city. He knows that they, the enemies of 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 the of the Israelites, the Romans, will not leave in you, speaking to the city now one stone left upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. But lest I leave you with the impression that this is the only way the word is used, it is also used in, in some other ways. But it is significant that it is oftentimes used of the building materials, the stones that are laid one upon another. It is used of the stone um, that is put in front of the tomb of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's rolled in front of the tomb. It's also used uh, in a less significant, not, not less significant, but a less dramatic way when he talks. Uh, the Lord Jesus says, if your son asks for bread, will you give him a stone? It's the same word. And so um, I don't want to leave you with the impression that it's just used for building stones. But it is significant that oftentimes it is used, this particular word is used to speak of those large stones that are used in building. So that naturally leads us to the way the Lord himself used the word. And he, as he's interpreting those Old Testament passages dealing with the stone which was rejected, he brings them over and he draws this analogy uh, from that. He draws this analogy from the Old Testament scriptures when he applies it to himself. It, it becomes, as it were, a, it is a metaphor that is used here, but it's more like a concretized metaphor. It is used to illustrate something secure, something solid, something un moving. Now, not to digress, but perhaps it's it's a good reminder to us that different from a simile, a metaphor is a figure of speech in which a word or a phrase literally illustrates one thing or to uh, one thing or, or one idea or one concept to another thing or another idea. And in doing so, suggests that there is a likeness between the two or an analogy between the two things or between the two ideas. Now, concretized metaphors takes that just a step further by suggesting that the metaphor has a concreteness to it, giving it uh, a, a sight, if you will, uh, giving sight, if you will, to something that is more, uh, giving sight to something that is not material. Um, perhaps you can put it that way. He is without question, solid, secure, something you can depend on. He is unmoving, just like the stone. He is alive and is not just some inanimate object, not just some non-material spirit, for he has a body risen up from the grave. And so he uses this metaphor in a concretized form, which makes it solid and makes it um, mean more than just a simple analogy. It is a true 
analogy of who he is. Then he elevates that metaphor and uses it to describe the secure and intimate relationship that we as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, believers in the resurrection, we who have this living hope, those who know the living stone, those who know the living one, we are also living stones. Now taken together, they show how, how Christ and we as believers are joined to God himself. As you come to him, now I'm reading out of the NET, the New English Translation again. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men and chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The foundation of God's building is his son. His son is the chief cornerstone from which everything else is constructed. Everything else, that cornerstone, lays out the construction for all else that is there. So. The foundation is the very Son of God. The foundation is the Lord Jesus Christ, the living stone. And then the living stones of which we metaphorically are described as believers are those who have come to the Lord Jesus Christ, come to him and placed our, our lives upon that stone. We've laid our life upon that stone, upon that foundation. Now, Paul expands that thinking, doesn't he, when we read in Ephesians, uh, where he says, Now, therefore, you are no, not longer or no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone of whom the whole building being fitted and joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Now you see that he expands on that illustration that Peter gives. Who began it? We don't know. Who began this, this metaphorical expression? We cannot tell from, from the texts themselves. But he takes this same metaphor and uses it in the idea that Jesus Christ was the chief cornerstone. Now, off of that angle that that cornerstone produced, the apostles and prophets were placed there. On top of the apostles and prophets, on top of the doctrine of Christ and the doctrine of the apostles, on the doctrine of the prophets, we begin to build. Now, we can't take the time to unpack that verse in its completeness, but just to show the comparison it has with what we find here in 1 Peter uh, chapter 2. Peter would also say, and we referred to this before, he would also say back in, in Acts chapter 4, that this stone which was rejected, drawing from the same analogy that we have here, the stone which re rejected, salvation is found in no other. He was the rejected stone, but salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men, whereby you must be saved. 
And so this living stone, this stone which was rejected, is the only stone on which you can build. It's the only stone on which you can build. Now, secondly, the chosen cornerstone, our Lord Jesus Christ, is precious. The second description is that he is precious. First, he is living. And now we get this adjective to describe the noun uh, stone as precious. Or better, he is the one who is honored. Precious is the adjective that describes this stone as being an honored stone. It means someone who is held in honor, someone who is prized, someone who is of high value, something that is highly esteemed, shown of high regard. So this stone, our Lord Jesus Christ, is to God one who is highly exalted highly regarded, of tremendous worth, of tremendous value and honor. If we can use human terms and human language to describe him. And he is held in the same high regard, or at least ought to be held in the same high regard to those who have come to him, to those who are coming to him and continue to come to him. The new English translation, again, translate this as, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men and chosen by God and precious in the sight of God, you yourselves as living stones are built up, present tense. You are being built up. Here's a passive. You are being built up, but it's not you who are who's doing the building. It's being done to you. But you are continually being built up into a spiritual house. You are continually being built up to a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices to God through Christ Jesus. Then we have these two therefores. And these, these two therefores are important because it introduces now to us the, the quotes that he will make. Therefore, he says, it is also contained in the scripture. Now, to what is the first of these therefores attached? To what is these, this first of these two therefores moored, if you will? There's two facts. That he is secure and dependable. That the stone to which you've joined yourself is sure and is secure and dependable. And that you are joined to him and are also secure, being built on a firm and a sure foundation, the highly regarded and the one who is of high worth, you have attached yourself to him. And secondly, that he is precious and to be honored with spiritual sacrifice, with spiritual praise and worship being offered up to him by a holy priest. Now, we're going to have to end there. It's a kind of an awkward place to end, but this video will go on way too long if I begin the next section. So the scripture confirms that Peter writes when it says, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. And then he adds in, in verse 7, which we'll look at next week, the honor is for you who believe. So may the Lord add his blessing to this little time of, of study, and we'll pick it up again next time. Lord bless you, my beloved.